Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renowned, renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this, this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on, on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. پیام ما روشن است و مردم روشنایی می‌بخشد. بنابراین از آنجا که به واسطه رحمت خدا خداست که از این خدمت برخورداری، دل سرد نمی‌شویم. ما سعی نداریم با هیله و نیره مردم را به سوی مسیح هدایت کنیم. ما نمی‌خوایم کسی را فریب دهیم. هیچگاه سعی نمی‌کنیم کسی را وادار نماییم تا به تعالی که برخورد برخلاف کتاب مقدس است ایمان آوریم. ما هرگز به چنین روشنایی شماوری متوسل نمیشیم بلکه خدا شاهد است که جز حقیقت و راسی چیز دیگری را اعلام نمینماییم و میکوشیم تا از این را تاثیر نیکویی بر مردم بگذاریم اما اگر پیام نجاتی که اعلام میکنیم مبهم است و درک آن دشوار است فقط برای آنان چنین است که به سوی هلاکت میرود شیطان که حاکم این دنیای پر از گناه است چشمان این اشخاص بی ایمان را بسته است تا نتوانند نور پرجلال انجیل را ببینند و معنی پیام ما را در برابر جلال مسیح که چهره قابل رؤیت خدا خدایی نادیده است درک کنند پیغام و وعظ ما نیز هیچگاه در تعریف از خودمان نبوده است بلکه در موعظه ها و موعظه فقط به عیسی مسیح اشاره کردیم و او را به عنوان خداوند معرفی نمودیم تنها چیزی که در درباره خودمان میگوییم این است که ما فقط به خاطر فداکاری که مسیح بر روی صلیب کرده خدمتگزاری خدمتگزار شما هستیم زیرا همان خدایی که فرموده نور از میان تاریکی بدرخشد نور خود را در دلهای ما نیز تاباند تا درک کنیم که این نور پرجلال اوست که از چهره عیسی مسیح می‌درخشد اما این گنج گرانبها را در ظرف‌های خاکی دارد یعنی در بدن انسانی انسانی و ضعیف خود تا همه بدانند این قدرت فوق‌العاده و برتر از سوی خداست نه از خودمان زحمات او از هر سو بر ما فشار می‌آورد اما له نشدیم 
حیران سردرگم میشوی اما امید خود را از دست نمیدهیم مردم ما را آزار میدهند اما خدا ما را هرگز تنها نمیگذارد زمین میخوریم اما به یاری خدا باز برمیخیزیم و پیش میرویم از طریق رنج و سختی بدن ما همواره در مرگ عیسی مسیح شریک میگردد تا حیات عیسی نیز در بدن ما دیده شود بلکه گرچه زندیم اما به خاطر خدمت عیسی پیوسته با مرگ مواجه هستیم تا حیات عیسی نیز در بدن بدنهای فانی ما آشکار گردد ما به خاطر علائم پیام انجیل با مرگ روبرو میشویم اما همین پیام باعث شده که شما زندگی جاوید را بیابید Thanks for that. It's a good reminder for us that uh, we believe in the God of all nations and to be able to hear the word, the word of God uh, spoken in other languages to me is, uh, is beautiful. And that's one thing I appreciate about our community that we could gather as people of all nations here. So thank you for that. When I say OMG, does everyone know what I'm talking about? Right? Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was taught not to say, oh my God, because that's, you know, blaspheming the name of the Lord, right? So then you would replace that with things like, oh my gosh, right? Or, oh my goodness. Or sometimes I would say, geez, right? Like, instead of saying Jesus, you just say, geez. It's interesting how this word, oh my God, is so within our, our language. Whether or not you believe in God or not, we use that phrase a lot, right? Oh my God or OMG, usually when you see your texting or you don't text. When you're Instaing or whatever you do, DMing, right? You, you use that phrase, OMG, right? Um, and you don't use it because it's a way to uh, blaspheme the name of the Lord, You're using it as a way to talk about whether it's expressing disbelief. Like, I can't believe that. So you say OMG. Or you might be frustrated and like, oh my God, right? Or you might even be happy, like, oh my God, that's amazing. I don't know about you. Are you like, whenever you hear it, does it kind of like, oh, why is he using it that way? It's not good. Well, in a very similar way, Uh, people in the Old Testament were also very careful with the name of God. The people of Israel received the name of God as Yahweh. This was this name that was revealed to, to Moses as I am that I am. But yet, it was such a holy name that the, uh, the name was so revered that when people started referring to Yahweh, which was I am what I am, They replaced it with other words. So instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Lord or God. So they would use words like uh, Adonai, which means Lord, or Elohim, which just means God. They thought that the word of God, the name of God was so holy that we couldn't even say it or speak it. So even the, the, the pronunciation of Yahweh, we think that's how it's pronounced, but no one actually knows because they're just consonants, I think. Right? And, the, he, and the, the vowels were not actually in there. So um, that's as much as I'm going to talk about that. 
But the sense of holiness and otherworldliness of God was seen in the tabernacle. So that's another good example of that. It was the very place where God's presence dwelt. So here's a picture of the tabernacle. And then let me show you another picture of the tabernacle where there was the place of holy of holy. So you see the outer courts, there's the inner courts, and then there's the uh, place of uh, holy, and then there's the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was the place that's, that was hidden by a veil or a curtain that, that the high priest could only enter once a year to sacrifice uh, for the sins of the nations, uh, of the nation of Israel. And it was, it was so holy that it was covered, and again, the high priest was the only one that could enter into this place, because it was the very place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God dwelt. But it was so holy that no one else could enter into this place except the high priest. There was even an urban legend that if anyone else entered that place, or even the high priest on, a, on another time of the year, that, that they would die. They would be struck down in, uh, um, by God because God was so holy. And if they didn't also enter into the Holy of Holies with, a, with like being pure and clean and all this, that the, that the priest would die. But imagine if the priest died in the Holy of Holies... Other people wouldn't be able to go in and grab him, right? Because if they went in, they would also die, and then the next person would go in. So, so the legend goes, this is an urban legend, it's not actually true. But the urban legend goes that the high priest would wear a rope around his uh, waist and ha would have bells. So that when he was in there, you know, performing the sacrifices, if people outside didn't hear the bells ringing, they, that means he was struck down dead. And so then they would pull him out with the rope. Again... To point out the fact of how much they, they thought that God was holy. That God was so holy that they couldn't look at the face of God. They couldn't be in the presence of God. To the point where even when Moses was seeing God face to face, where it was in God's presence and would come out and he would shine, right? Like his face would uh, be shining with the radiance of God. The people were even scared to even look at Moses and his face that was shining, because to be in God's presence was to be in this place of holiness, otherworldliness, someone you couldn't be around because that's how holy God was. Yet at the same time, one of the realities that the people of Israel held was and was reminded over and over again in the Old Testament is that God was with his people. The tabernacle was a physical space where God was present with his people. God did not hide up in the sky somewhere or in, in a distant place, but rather God who created the universe and is utterly other than creation, this God whose presence was too holy for, for anyone to experience face to face, was still with his people. He wasn't far off, but was in the tabernacle. He was within their midst. God is wholly other yet is wholly present with his people. And in the season of Lent, we're going through, uh, we're journeying towards the cross, and we're in a sermon series called Divesting Divinity, where we're looking at the self-emptying of Jesus. Last week, Emily spoke about this God who became human in Jesus and of the self-emptying of Jesus. 
This morning, I want us to examine the importance of holding on to the tension between a transcendent God and the eminent God, which means that a God who is to be honored and worshiped, who is holy other than, yet a God who is with us and is in all things. The danger of leaning too much on either side is that, we, that, that if we focus too much on the transcendence of God, we fail to see how we can know this God who is so far off, who is not near us, who, who we can't get to see or to be near. On the other hand, if we focus too much on a God who is eminent, that is, um, that, then we can believe that God is in everything. That is, everything is God. So, so we don't need to actually believe in Jesus because everything is God. Or we could think of Jesus as our friend, you know, as our homeboy, our friend, who, our buddy, and, and lose sight of his lordship. So too much focus on the transcendence of God will lead to dismissing creation. Too much focus on em- the eminence of God will lead to everything becoming God. Our passage today, and it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, and the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, who said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We believe that Jesus is the very image of God. It is the person of Jesus that makes known to us the unknowable. By God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus, the otherworldly, the unknowable, unknowable divine being has become knowable by revealing to us who God is. This is what Paul is preaching to the people of Corinth. The good news is that Jesus is God and he has come to remove the veil that separates us from God. The veil that kept the very presence of God away from the people of Israel in the, uh, in the death and resurrection of Jesus has been torn and has been opened for the way of heaven to enter earth. God isn't a God that's up in the sky or in heaven somewhere nor is he everything in the world, but God is in the being of Jesus who is fully God and fully human. And it is through him that heaven permeates into creation. As we are in relationship with him, as we're in communion with the divine, as we come to understand that Jesus lives in us and is with us, we are in him and that we join him in uniting heaven and earth. Transcendence and eminence meet in the person of Jesus. There's been this song that's been going through my mind as, been, as I've been thinking about this idea of God being transcendent and being eminent. And it's a song uh, by the person of Joan Osborne called One of Us. I might be dating myself, but anyone know that song, One of Us? The song starts, uh, yes, I saw one hand, good, I'm not the only one. But the song starts off with the lines, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face if you were faced with him in all his glory? 
What would you ask if you had just one question? God does have a name. His name is Jesus. And we are able to face him in all his glory because that veil that separated us from God, from the very presence of God, that separated the sacred from the unsacred, that veil that said we weren't good enough, not holy enough, had been removed by God himself in Jesus. And now we're invited into his very presence. Paul had made a point a few verses before our passage today of how much greater this new promise and this new covenant is in Jesus compared to the old glory with Moses and the tabernacle and the holy of holies. And Paul mentions that there are those who still read the stories of Moses and are not able to see the truth that Jesus is that fulfilled presence of God that Moses and the people of Israel experienced at the tabernacle. And this is what he says. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone, who, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When anyone turns to Jesus, the veil that separated the very presence of God, the presence of God that was feared, that people couldn't look at, this veil was removed And we are now able to enter into the very presence of God in Jesus and then are transformed into his image. I want to show you this series image that you may have seen. And this is hand-drawn by Dale, uh, which is uh, pretty amazing. Uh, This art is uh, drawn in a medieval style that depicts the Ptolemaic, Ptolemaic cosmology of the celestial spheres. I know, very confusing. All that it means is that the way people viewed the world was like a jawbreaker, where you have like the inner you know, color, right? So Earth is in the middle here, and then the outer sphere is heaven, and then you kind of move outwards. And what they believed in is that in the horizon, when, when people looked at the horizon, that's where heaven and Earth met. So in this imagery, uh, you see um, the cross in both uh, heaven and on earth, right? It's, it's, uh, Jesus is the uh, divine divinity, uh, as Greg calls it, divinity uh, dwelling in dust. But the more I thought about this idea, the more I thought about how Jesus, and sometimes we think of heaven and earth as this like dividing, here's heaven, here's earth, and we can see it in this like divide, right? He's bridging the gap. But I like that image of the, the jawbreaker, or to me, it's more layered, where earth is here and heaven is almost layered in between, in the back. And we just need the, the kind of like the veil to be removed for us to be able to see heaven on earth. God has never actually abandoned earth as something evil, evil or unheavenly, but rather I think in our sin and brokenness, we have been blinded to the reality that heaven is on earth. Instead of heaven being a separate place 
What if heaven is this underneath layer of earth? What if in Jesus, heaven is permeating through earth where we need the veil that distorts our vision to be removed so that we can see God here with us? That's why I love Leonard Cohen, Cohen's, Cohen, his, his phrase that, um, oh my goodness, now I don't remember. There's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. It's almost as if it, through the pain and, and hurt of earth, uh, of our own lives, that that is through where heaven permeates. Where, that's where the light comes in, and that's what Jesus does through the cross. Paul says something similar in Colossians chapter 1. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Jesus, he has already started that process of revealing heaven on earth Jesus is the Lord of all creation, whether on heaven or earth, things visible or invisible, all powers and authorities. Through and in Christ, all things will be reconciled to him. Things on earth and in heaven, in Christ, earth and heaven are not the separate things, but rather are reconciled. God isn't far off in heaven somewhere living there. He's bringing heaven to earth and is making his home in us. This uh, past Friday in youth group, our youth were uh, looking through this book called What If? And, and the book is called What If? Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions. And for instance, one of the questions was, what if you threw a baseball at someone at 90% of the speed of light? And then what this person would do is try to give you a scientific answer of how that would play out. So I think in this instance, like, there would be some kind of nuclear fusion and there would be, yeah, bombs going off and all of this way beyond my uh, uh, ability to understand. But then they also had one was, what if you call someone randomly to say, God bless you? And when they picked up the phone, they actually sneezed. So this guy would, like, figure out the scientific. And is the chances are 1 in 40,000. So youth, if you want, you could try doing that 40. So the odds are, if you call 40,000 times there will be, and said, God bless you, there'd be one person who actually sneezed. Okay, that's, that's very random. But in the song, one of us that I mentioned before, Joan Osborne also asks an absurd question as well. She asks, what if God was one of us? What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. I tried Googling on this, uh, this guy's site if he actually tried to answer this question. Like, what if God was one of us? What is the scientific, you know, kind of like argument for it or reasoning, rationale around it? And I couldn't find anything, so I'm like, you know, I should actually 
try to like message him and ask that question, see if he'll try to answer it. But what if God was one of us? We as Christians believe that Jesus is the answer to the question, what if God was one of us? He has come in the very person of Jesus and have removed the veil that separates us from him. Not only that, God through the spirit of Jesus will make his home in our very lives. Paul says in a few different places that we are the temple of the living God. That holy of holies, that tabernacle, the place where the, the very presence of God dwelt is within us. Peter would later on say that we are a royal priesthood, meaning we are these high priests where that presence of God can dwell in the holy of holies. That is, when we have the spirit of God living in us, we become the place of the holy of holies, the embodiment of heaven on earth. Another way to put it is, That God is closer to us than we think. If you don't remember anything else, remember that God is closer to you than you think. I want us to look at this uh, picture here. And it's a picture of... Do you know what this is? It's, It's called Where's Waldo? And it's basically, it's, ah, you're not going to be able to find Waldo in that. Oh, actually, it's pretty full, full but still, it would be hard for you to find Waldo. The whole point of this, this uh, picture is for you to look for Waldo, right? And it usually comes in a book. You know, a book is this thing where there's paper and, you know, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, and, and the point of the thing is it, each time it gets harder from one page to the next, it gets harder in finding Waldo. The, you know, the first one is a little easy. The second one is a little harder. And it gets harder and harder. And, and the whole point is to find Waldo. Uh, and the, the truth is that in every page of that book, Waldo is there. That's the truth. Yet it gets harder and harder to find him. Not because they make Waldo into this like, amazing figure. The way to hide Waldo is to just make him ordinary. And then as, as you get further on in the book, you see more, what happens is they're just more Waldos. Look, but they're not actually Waldos, they're just lookalikes of Waldo. And it gets harder and harder for you to find them. Can, can you find them? Did, you, did anyone find them? And it's hard to see from back there, and, but some of you may have. And isn't this how it feels sometimes for us? We live in a world that is so full so full of activity, so full of worries, full of pain and hurt, full of shorts and reels on social media, full of just trying to survive, that in the midst of such fullness or possibly distractions, that's really hard to find or see God. Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul reminds that that there is someone who is actively working against us seeing Jesus. Not only that our lives, again, are so full of stuff, full of God lookalikes, that we do not have room nor the energy to seek out Jesus. There's a book called 
God is Closer Than You Think by John Ortberg, who writes about why this author of Waldo hides Waldo. He says he hides Waldo so children can learn to be aware of what's going on around them. And he says, I like them to see wonder in places it might not have occurred to them, just in the plain stuff. He goes on to also talk about how finding Waldo is a practice of discernment, that it takes practice. The more you do it, the more you could find Waldo. And this is the mystery of Jesus. Instead of coming down from heaven on a bed of clouds with trumpets sounding his arrival, Jesus came as a babe born in a manger in a small town in a very unassuming way. He, though was God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp or hold on to, but he gave of himself. He emptied himself, taking on the nature of a servant. Jesus breaks into the world not through power or might, but through weakness, through the cross, through the cracks, through death. It is to show us a different way to be and to live to follow the way of Jesus, Jesus, which is through the cross. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Here, Paul is alluding to the imagery of baptism, that as we die to ourselves and join Jesus in his death, and as we do so as we enter into the waters of baptism, we are resurrected with Jesus as the beloved children of God. So as we live into our baptismal commitments and identity, that is, as we continue to die to ourselves daily, we join Jesus in his death so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Not only is Jesus' life revealed in our body, but Jesus promises to reside in us. We do not need to search out there for God somewhere, somewhere far off from us. But Jesus is very near, as just within ourselves even. That as we walk in relationship with Jesus, as we carry the death of Jesus, what it means to join him in his death and resurrection, we are invited into the work of Jesus in revealing heaven on earth. God is closer to us than we think. Just as Waldo is in every page of the book, Jesus is in every page of your lives. That's the truth. What we need to discern is being able to see where Jesus is in the midst of our busy lives. I was scanning that picture, and once I found Waldo, I could always see him. Right? Once you see where Waldo is, you could always see him. And I think it's in similar, similarly, when we find Jesus, we see Jesus everywhere. And the more we see Jesus in the pages of our lives, the more we can make sense of our own, 
uh, world. But one thing different about Waldo and God, or Jesus, God isn't hiding. Waldo is hiding, but God isn't hiding from us. In fact, God wants to be found. Jesus is actively knocking on our doors, the doors of our hearts, to let him in. I don't know about you, but have you tried searching out for Jesus? One test that I want you to try. If you seek Jesus, you will find him. The problem isn't that we seek Jesus, we seek after God, and we can't find him in this world, but rather we don't seek out Jesus, right? Most of the time we're too busy living our lives, worried about our own issues, that we're not actively seeking out Jesus. Test God in this. If you seek out Jesus, you will find him. I promise you. Just as Waldo is in every page of that book, Jesus is in this world, in your heart. In your lives, you just need to seek out after him. Our task is to seek him out, knowing that he is already with us and wants to be found and us found in him. God is closer to us than we think. How will you respond to a God who is with us? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us, that out of your love for us, that you came to be with us, that you made your home in us. Oftentimes, it's us that's trying to keep you away. It's us that's who's moving away from you. It's us who wants to separate earth and heaven. Yet you have come. to reconcile all things, to bring us to you, but also to to bring yourselves, bring yourself to us. So give us the eyes to see, knowing that when we turn to you, that the veil will be removed, that all we need to do is seek you out because you are already seeking us out. So help us to remember that truth when things are so busy, when things are so hard, when things feel like you're not around, even when we can't feel you, help us to have the the faith and to believe in the truth that you are here, that you are with us. And because of that, we worship you. Because of that, we praise you. And because of that, we want to join you in making um, and revealing heaven on earth. Thank you that you want us to be part of that, part of your, um, your life here on earth. And so we thank you and praise you for it and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.